Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Hannah Floor. Fourth grade teacher Thomas Hambly is no longer employed at the Petersburg School District. He stopped teaching at Racy Stedman Elementary School just before Christmas. Hambly was hired to start in the fall. He taught for just four months. Superintendent Erica Glutpainter told KFSK, quote, The district and the employee mutually agreed that it would be better for him to move into a position elsewhere. She said that while it was not the right fit for Hambly or the district, he, quote, brought some good experience and training with him. That's why we hired him. He did not respond to requests for comment. Retired elementary teacher Dan Sullivan is filling in as a long-term substitute and will finish out the school year. He'll be joined by student teacher Alice Williams this spring. Clue Painter says the district plans to begin advertising for the position in the early spring. The Viking boys basketball team fought tooth and nail at the ninth annual Wolverine Classic in Anchorage this weekend, ultimately losing all three of their games. But as KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, two players received special recognition for their performance. The Vikings lost their games to three other 4A schools, each a lot bigger than Petersburg High School. But when the dust settled, a tournament committee recognized Petersburg High School seniors Rick Kumps and Hunter Kahn for their star performances. Kumps was named player of the game for Petersburg's first and third games against home team South Anchorage High School and Mountain City Academy, respectively. Kahn received the same honor for Petersburg's second game against Lathrop High. At the end of the tournament, a committee selected the top 10 players to compete in a special alternate game. Hunter Kahn was picked for that game and ended up getting an award for the best overall play. Despite their losses, the Vikings improved with every game they played. Petersburg took a heavy loss against home team Anchorage South on their first night. The Wolverines won 59-38. to Rick Brock, who coaches the Petersburg boys, says his players scored evenly across the entire game. The next day, the Vikings faced off against Lathrop High School in their first of two games. Brock says Petersburg had a rough time out the gate, but they picked up speed after the first quarter. Uh, I think we went scoreless for a good five minutes of that ball game in the first quarter, so we were behind again, double figures in the first half. Um, but again, uh, scored more points than they did in the second half. Petersburg had a strong performance in the second half of the game, but the Lathrop Malamutes won by 20. The final score, 63-43. to 43. The Vikings pressed on to their final game against Mountain City Academy, but without one of their key players. Senior Kieran Cabral sprained his ankle halfway through the tournament. I ended up taking him out. He only played part of the second half against Lathrop. So we decided not to play him against Mountain City, just as a precautionary for this coming weekend. Nevertheless, Petersburg played their best of three games against Mountain City Academy. The Vikings came up just two points short, with the Lions winning 42-40. to Petersburg's homecoming games are coming up this weekend. They'll face off against their high school rival, the Wrangell Wolves, on Friday and Saturday night. The Vikings bested the Wolves early this month in Wrangell's homecoming game. But Brock says victory isn't completely assured this weekend. He says he was impressed with the Wolves' recent performance against Metlakatla and anticipates a hard rematch for the Vikings. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. 
Research work last summer on the Mount Edgecombe crater near Sitka has shed some light on what may be happening below the mountain, which began to show signs of life almost two years ago. The movement of magma remains very deep and isn't producing any measurable volcanic gases at the surface. A doctoral researcher at the University of Alaska Fairbanks recently shared her data with the Sitka Rotary Club. Robert Woolsey reports. The Rotary Club is probably not the first place you'd go for the latest information on volcanology, but when a crater long thought to be dormant starts rumbling to life about 10 miles from town, no one in Sitka is uninterested. Claire Puglio is working on her Ph.D. at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Mount Edgecombe caught her eye at about the same time as everyone else when an earthquake swarm was detected under the crater in the spring of 2022. Subsequent satellite measurements showed that the slopes of the mountain had been deforming at a rate of nearly four inches a year, and surface temperatures on some parts of Kruzoff Island were warming. Pulio spoke to the Sitka Rotary meeting over Zoom. And then the other thing that really piqued my interest was a lot of information from people in Sitka about interesting things that they saw on Kruzoff. A video shot by retired search and rescue captain Don Cluding of a small pond percolating with bubbles on Kruzoff Island made the rounds in Sitka, as did another gassy phenomenon, this time discovered by a state trooper. And then um, Kyle Ferguson was hiking down along Shoals Point um, in kind of the south east portion of the island um, and he found this hole that had some warm kind of sulfur smelling air coming out of it too so i wanted to explore that as well to see what is that and is that even related to the volcano pulio didn't elaborate on whether having volcanic gas venting at the surface of Kruzoff island was a good thing or a bad thing it's all part of the information she and her partners at the university and the alaska volcano observatory are gathering in her words to understand where we're headed and what kind of activity might be there. Pulio joined a team who visited Mount Edgecombe twice last summer, sampling the air around and above the crater in a helicopter and collecting samples from the ground using an apparatus about the size of a cook pot turned upside down in the soil, all in search of the signal gas isotopes produced by volcanoes, which differ from those produced through biological processes. About 550 vials of air total, which were shipped off to a lab for chemical analysis. Then, using information supplied by the trooper, she went looking for the hole and, incredibly, found it. So we found this hole, um, and what we did was place that same multigas, which is what we use for the gas plate to measure the gas in the air. We placed that over the opening. You can see that in the lower left-hand corner and then measured the air that's coming out of this hole. It proved not to contain measurable volcanic gases, and Puglio suspects it is actually a lava tube, which is still something. The bubbling pond was only a little less disappointing. Puglio and a teammate used trail cams to learn what times the pond was percolating, and then they clambered into chest waders to collect gas, which turned out to be mostly the result of biological activity, like decaying plants. We had no volcanic gas detected at Shoals Point, and then the gas that was measured from that bubbling pond shows no clear volcanic signal, but could potentially have a small contribution from a volcanic source. For a volcanologist, it might be a downer that exhaustive sampling of the air around Mount Edgecombe turned up very little evidence of volcanic gases. But that doesn't mean nothing is happening deep under the surface. There's been plenty of evidence to suggest that the mountain is becoming active, 
And when there's any change in the atmosphere of Kruzoff Island, Pulio will have a baseline. The really great thing is that this establishes a really good background that we can measure against in the future. So if we go back to Edgecombe or ABO goes back or I have the opportunity to go back, um, we can collect the same samples again and compare them so we can see if anything is changing. In the meantime, the Alaska Volcano Observatory has placed four seismic stations on the slopes of Mount Edgecombe and scientists continue to note sporadic, occasional small earthquakes deep below the crater. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The new regional director for the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Alaska comes from Toksuk Bay on the western coast. Jolene John started in the role as the BIA's new regional Alaska director in late November. She has previously worked in various roles with BIA Alaska, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, and several state and tribal organizations. Her new position is a powerful one. She serves as a representative of Alaska in dealing with federal agencies and outside tribal governments and organizations. She also works to strengthen tribal government and self-determination for the more than 180,000 tribal members and all but one of the 229 federally recognized tribes within the state. In Bethel, Sage Smiley spoke with Jolene John, the new Alaska Regional Bureau of Indian Affairs Director, about her goals as she steps into the new role. My name is Jolene John, Yupik name is Akanakusuk. I originate from Nelson Island. I am a Nunaka tribal member. My late father, Gangrilmuk Paul John, was the late traditional chief of the region. And my mother is Martina John from Tuxuk Bay. What motivated you to go for this position of leadership? I think the biggest person I would identify is my late father, Gangrilmuk Paul John. As I said before, he was the traditional chief. And growing up, I saw his work and how he uh, prioritized the tribes and saw the passion he had about tribal sovereignty, their rights and tribal values. Through his mentorship, he would help me understand how to make decisions based on what's the need of a community as a whole and not just yourself as an individual had me be considerate of the entire population, showed us the and taught us the traditional values of kinnika, love, and not to be so disengaged from the real people who may be struggling and to understand them. You are new in the position, so I'm sure there's a lot that you're learning, but are there any specific motivating issues or projects that you're finding are especially salient or things that you're thinking you want to focus on in your beginning days as the new BIA Alaska director? Well, I definitely have some goals in mind. Well, first one is I know federally recognized tribes require their funding in order to deliver programs and services. So my goal is to ensure that those funds get out the door as quickly as possible and increase funding for programs and services that have historically had low numbers for Alaska's tribes, including things like the small and needy tribal funding. I've also been engaged in 
initiatives regarding climate change and how it's impacting a lot of our communities. Many times there's emergencies. I want to collaborate across different organizations, federal, state, or private, and ensure that BIA is at the table where needed. One of the priorities for the Bureau of Indian Affairs is um, land into trust. And I know there's been some applications submitted by our Alaska's tribes. I'll be ensuring that we prioritize that in the process. We also have a number of vacant positions that require a high level of specialized certification. I would like to ensure that we uh, fill those vacancies so that we can increase our level of support and technical assistance. So how would you characterize the the relationship between the BIA and tribes in Alaska right now? We want to be able to build a culture of being good neighbors, good relatives, and be responsive where there's a need and be as helpful as we can by addressing the staff shortages that we have and improving communication I want to build um, BIA's relationship with tribes to be proactive service providers and for our tribal leadership to be better listeners and understand their needs and be of service where we are needed as well. Do you feel like the relationship between the, the BIA Alaska office and tribes has been changing at all? Well, of course, it's going to evolve over time. Uh, there's always areas where... We're constantly working behind the scenes to see how we can improve services or programs because tribes themselves are ever-changing. Not one tribe is built the same or designed the same. And so we have to understand where they're at in order to build programs and services that make sense for today's needs. Um, tribes of years past are not anything like tribes of today, nor will they be the same tomorrow. That was an excerpt from an interview with Jolene John, the new regional director for the Bureau of Indian Affairs in Alaska. She, th- she spoke to Sage Smiley in Bethel. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.